the word of life, the truth. All that God is, we saw, they saw in Jesus, and we read about him. And Lord, we thank you that your word becomes this reflection, this pool that we look in and we see, we see Jesus. We see his grace and his glory and all that he desires to do in this world, in our lives. And we praise you, Lord, because you give us confidence and strength. So help us today to learn, help us to hear, help us to apply your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be with you guys again for the next, this week and next week, Lord willing. Uh, glad you're here. Just an update. Uh, I think last time I was here, I was a grandfather once. Twice now. Two times. And uh, it's a boy. It was a boy. Week, two weeks old. Uh, can't believe it. We haven't had boys in the uh, household in quite a while. As you know, I have four girls. That's why I don't have any hair. And uh, sorry, ladies. Sorry, I didn't mean that. I, you got to watch it, right? You got to watch it. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, it's really, his name is Miles. He is a cutie. I will show you many pictures if you want later on. But uh, we're, the Lord has blessed us in, in many ways, and we're thankful. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, I know your desire to get into God's Word and, and know Him is, is keen, and I appreciate it and always feel that liberty here. Uh, there was a pretty recent book that was published, I'd say within the last four years, called Mindset. Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. She's um, a doctor in psychology at Stanford, so she's no slouch to uh, understanding what makes people tick and how they uh, can, I guess, perform on, in a maximum, uh, at a maximum level. Um, this book has been used by a lot of school systems recently in just trying to understand and motivate kids. So uh, I see it every once in a while. Not necessarily the book, but some of the techniques that they, she talks about. But listen to what she says concerning this whole idea of mindset. It's one thing to have pundits spouting their opinions about scientific issues, but it's another thing to understand how these views apply to you. For 30 years, my research has shown that the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. It can determine whether you become the person you want to be or whether you accomplish the things you value. She's not talking spiritual now. She's just talking nuts and bolts, thinking and psychology and how you live. She says, how does this happen? How can a simple belief have the power to transform your psychology and as a result, your life? So she did years and years of research. This is what she came up with. Believing that your qualities are carved in stone, she calls that the fixed mindset, creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over. Listen to what she says. If you have only a certain amount of intelligence, a certain personality, 
a certain moral character, well, then you better prove that you have a healthy dose of them. It simply wouldn't do to look or feel deficient in these most basic characteristics. See what she's saying? Is that if you sense or feel about yourself that you are this IQ and this kind of personality and this is, these are uh, the gifts that I have, then in school, she finds, and in younger people, is that what happens is your motivation is try to make yourself appear better than those things. So you're constantly motivated by something that is actually counterproductive. Now listen to what she goes on. Oh, she, she was in a nightmare uh, sixth grade class because she describes it. Mrs. Wilson... And what she did, Mrs. Wilson, was to line up all the kids according to their IQ. Can you imagine that? Oh, man. And only the kids with the highest IQs were the ones who were able to hold the flag, bring the notes to principal's office, all of these kinds of things. I mean, it was just like bizarre as she talks about it. And, you know, it upset her from a, a, a she says that she, had, was sick, daily stomach aches, was provoked by this judgmental stance. But then listen to this. She says, the growth mindset, and that's the other, the growth mindset, is based on the belief that your basic qualities are things you can cultivate through your efforts, your strategies, and also help from others. It's such a subtle difference. One is trying to make sure you live up to a certain standard and even appear beyond it, and the other is more open, right? It's taking in. She says it's based on the quali- your basic qualities that you can cultivate through your efforts, your strategies, and help from others. She says, although people may differ in every which way in their in- initial talents and aptitudes, interests, or temperaments, Everyone can change and grow through application and experience. Now, just uh, hang in there with me because I want to finish this quote. He says, do people with this mindset believe that anyone can be anything? That anyone with proper motivation or education can become Einstein or Beethoven? No. But they believe that a person's true potential is unknown or unknowable that it's impossible to foresee what can be accomplished with years of passion, toil, and training. And then she goes down a list. Tolstoy was considered an ordinary child. Ben Hogan, one of the greatest golfers of all time, right, was completely uncoordinated and graceless in his child. Cindy Sherman, I don't know who this is, but she was virtually every list of the most important artists on the 24th, 20th century, she was thought to, she failed her first photography class. Geraldine Page, some of you know Geraldine Page? I I don't, uh, but sorry. Raise your hands because you're showing us how old you are. How many know Geraldine Page? All right, so some, this is what they said about her. One of our greatest actresses was advised to give it up for lack of talent. So it's this idea of being open. You're not looking at your IQ and trying to live up to it. I know a person, it's really hilarious. They, they tell me, uh, they've told me a couple of times that uh, they're almost a genius. 
Like their IQ was so high. You know the bell curve? It was so high, they're almost a genius. And what I said to them was, well, I guess then you're not a genius. <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. All right, and I think that person does try to live up to that idea because I know how they act in public and what, how they try to get a job done. They're always looking over their shoulder. It's like, am, am I really living like an almost genius? Rather than saying, I'm going to take this task, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to learn from it, I'm going to get help from others, I'm going to see how far I can go. Forget about the IQ. I don't even, you know what, I don't even know my IQ, and I'm really glad I don't. All right? For a number of reasons. Moving ahead. You see, that's the way, as a matter of fact, the way God looks at history, at time, and us is much more like growth mindset than fixed mindset. And I think we as Christians sometimes come to church, approach our Bible, approach our spiritual lives with a much, much more fixed mindset. I mean, a totally fixed mindset is that we are in the last days, the Laodicea, everything's going to get terrible, we're not going to make it, let's huddle and just do our best. Is that the vision of the church? Is that what Christ is looking for, where it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it? See, I, I believe that God is looking at this big picture. Listen to what Galatians says about time and how the Lord looks at time. In chapter 4, 4-7, to he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Boy, that terminology is not holy huddle. That is terminology where we are, uh, we are in the family of God, given the heirs of Christ, becoming the heirs of Christ, and able to grow into that potential. And someday, you and I will be, not Jesus, but like Him. That's amazing. Now, you know, look, I, I do get it, because sometimes when I speak on subjects like this, I, I get into this triumphal kind of uh, idea where, you know, come on, Gerard. You know, what, everything's going to be great? Everything's going to be fine? No, things are not going to be fine. My wife right now is working with her father, who is in the 80s, whose decline is going very, very fast. His wife is there, late 80s, and dementia, and it, it's just horrible. Here's a guy who was able to... to with a micrometer, measure things and make sure something fit exactly in its place. He could do anything, and now he can do nothing. So you go through that. But does that mean that we go through it hopeless? That we go through it without a sense of God's sovereign plan and love in our lives and an ability to move through. Jesus said very clearly, in this world you will have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. 
And so what I, I have to tell myself and I like to tell each other and all of us that sometimes we lower the bar. Sometimes we live in fixed mindset rather than seeing what God wants. Notice, He created, there was a fall, and so He left it, right? Wrong. He redeemed it, and there's someday going to be a consummation of it. He's going to make it all new. A new heavens and a new earth. I mean, you're riding around today. This earth's pretty glorious. It's going to be a new one. Incredible. That's what? It's not fixed. It's a mindset. Actually, it's better than what we think. It's not a growth mindset. It's a redemption mindset. And that's what our God is all about. That's how He sees time. We see it birth, life, death. He sees a creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And He's given us His Holy Spirit, it says in this, in this section. And God's plan, John Ortberg said, is for us not just to be saved by grace, but to live by grace. Because that's how we move into that redemption mindset. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 are uh, words that the Lord uh, say at a feast. Uh, and we're going to spend our time in John's Gospel this, this morning and look at a couple of things concerning the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in us and how we should be looking for these things as we live our life. I'm reading from John 7, 37-39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now Jesus said these words at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And some Jewish scholars say that you do not know joy if you had not been at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was an incredible celebration. It was the seventh and final feast given to Israel. And uh, you probably know it as the Feast of Tabernacles. It observed in the fall from the 15th to the 22nd. During this time of their month, I won't even try to pronounce it because blah, I won't be good. During this time, many Jewish families constructed what they call like a tent or a little, uh, uh, really something that they can, they built very, very quickly and they ate meals in them throughout the entire festival. So it was time of celebration. People were outside milling around, talking with one another, celebrating with, uh, with, with each other. And these little huts were basically symbolic of how God provided through the wilderness. How God continued His presence with them and enabled them to move through the toughest of times and bring them into the promised land. 
So they're celebrating. God is faithful. God redeemed us. God will work. God will move in our midst. We are His people. It was a time of joy. Now tradition tells us that how the priest would kind of commemorate this feast is that he would shout to the crowd, with joy you shall draw water from the well of salvation. Then he would pour the water onto the ground, symbolizing that one day God would satisfy everything, the entire planet, with his grace and his glory. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, they believe that they, the priest took it from the pool of Shalom. And he took that picture. And what would happen is that as he moved up toward the tabernacle, up into the temple, this is how he would lead, God, uh, lead the people of God. And he would shout that phrase with joy. You shall draw river from the well of salvation. And God will beautify this planet and beautify his people. And it will be a glorious eternity. This might have been around maybe this day or a day after this. During this feast, can you imagine? Where Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's powerful when you think about who Jesus is, right? Who he's saying he is. What we all long for in, in each of our hearts is a day of incredible restoration where there will no longer be any scent of the fall or death or sin or pain. We all long for that. And that celebration there as the priest poured that water out was telling people that that day was going to come. And then Jesus said, if you want it to come, you want it to come now? Drink of me. Many rejected. But he was moving and saying, Look, listen, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of him or her will flow rivers of living water. I come to this verse and I say to myself, and, and I say this to you guys as well as to myself. Uh, I have clearly not arrived. Just ask my kids. All right? They, they get where I'm at. They know my little uh, idiosyncrasies. They understand. We have uh, my oldest daughter and her husband and granddaughter back with us for a year so they could save money and buy a house, which they're endeavoring to do, and it's really, really great. And they lived down in the basement. And in the beginning, everybody was really like, you know, honoring their space. Ha! What a joke. All right, now Craig comes up. His computer's all over the dining room table. His stuff is over here. He even leaves his shoes in the living room. Get your shoes out of my living room, man. What's up? And they know. My kids know. Mickey, my wife comes home. What's this in the sink? Uh, it's not me. I didn't do it. I think, and we all point to Lauren and Craig. That's it. It's them. You know, and so they know what's going on. They know kind of I'm a neat freak and everything's got to be in place. I mean, I have an anxiety attack when I look in their closet. It's just like, what? 
Anyway, I come to you telling you that I am worse than you. Well, maybe not worse than you. <laughs> but I am not that great of a guy, okay? And my kids and my wife will tell you. But I do know this. That the Holy Spirit has also flowed through me. As I know, the Holy Spirit has flowed through you. And He wants to continue. No matter what mood we're in, what, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter you know, whether you had bad sleep or good sleep, sometimes, I think, uh, I think Swindoll said this, half the problem with a lot of people who are Christians is that they need a good night's sleep. Right? Amen? But this power source that's in us. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, and this is the first thought of the redemption mindset, if you're taking notes. The Holy Spirit will flow in you. Believe it. Jesus promises it. As you keep trusting in Him, the Holy Spirit will flow in you. We talked about lights this morning at the morning meeting. How we are all lights. We are lights because the Holy Spirit enables us to live this supernatural life that, listen, you can't live on your own. We need Him. Remember how drastic Jesus was when He talks about us as being in the vine? Right? And we cannot even exist unless we are dwelling in Him. It's a radical thought. This power. This flow. It's sometimes hard for us to, to get uh, wrap my brain around, but I think one of the, I guess the clearest illustration, and I'm not sure if this is even true any longer, but out in Texas, one writer talks about how they used to use uh, ignite lignite coal. And here's what he writes. He says, first, huge shovels dig house-sized scoops of lignite coal pulverized and loaded onto railroad boxcars. And the coal travels to the generating plant in East Texas where it is further crushed into powder. Superheated, I never knew this, this powder ignites like gasoline when blown into the huge furnaces that crank three turbines. These turbines were at 3,600 revolutions per minute. These turbines are housed in concrete and steel casings, 100 feet long, 10 feet tall, 10 feet across. They generate enough electricity for entire cities, for Dallas. It's amazing. And the visitor to the plant asked the chief engineer, where do you store the electricity? What do you think? Where do you think they store it? All right? They don't store it. He says, we don't store it. We just make it. When a light switch is flipped on in Dallas, 100 miles west, it literally places a demand on the system. It registers at that generating plant and prompts greater output. We have within us the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he's saying just... Learn to go to the source. Learn from Him. The Spirit will work. First thing in a redemption mindset is that the Holy Spirit flows in us. And we need to learn to see how that happens. I think one of the 
best prayers you could pray today after hearing a message like this or, or after this message is, Lord, teach me to hear and know Your Spirit working. And I can say it from experience. Early on in my Christian life, and I still on occasion struggle with anxiety, and I'm not talking about just worry. It's the anxiety that when your brain is going to a certain place and it just won't turn off. Okay, it just won't turn off. You can't, and you know, it's different in every everybody. For me, it's terrible in the morning, and then I move through the day, and then uh, I'm usually okay at night. But then at night, I'm thinking, oh, brother, what's the morning going to bring? Okay, so it's these kinds of things. Now, when you struggle with something like that, um, and everybody raise your hand who has, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> All right? Uh, when you struggle with something like that, it's hard to hear the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, yikes. Everything is going on in your head. You can't even, you don't even feel like eating. And I'm not the type of guy who does not like to eat, as you can tell. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing where you can't hear it. And I prayed, I remember the day, Lord, because sometimes when you're worried or stressed, what do you think, positive thoughts? No. Hey, let me give you an example. When you make up in the, wake up in the middle of the night, What's your first thought that comes to your mind? Is it usually like, oh, I can't wait till tomorrow. It's going to be such a great day. No, what happens is negative thoughts start to crowd in. That's the way we're wired, unfortunately. It's part of the sin nature. I ask God, let me understand and know when it's your spirit that's speaking to me and not condemnation. And I have to say, the Lord has answered that prayer. Now, i got a long way to go. Long way to go. But God has answered that. I challenge you to pray that. Because God will teach you His still, small voice. And that enables you to have confidence in the flow of the Spirit. Okay, that's number one. The redemption mindset... Second piece is understanding or knowing that God's presence is with you. That's a very simple thing, but it's something that we forget. God's presence is with us all the time, 24-7. He never leaves. leaves. His gaze is on us. And Jesus says this so much in the, uh, the upper room discourse where he's talking to the disciples Uh, Turn, if you will, to John 14, because I want to look at this whole idea of the comforter and what Christ says. It's, It's an amazing idea because when Jesus talks about it in John 14, 16 and 14, 26, he says, I will send, what does he say, a comforter? No, he says, another comforter. Now, who's comforting the disciples? Jesus is. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, listen, I'm not going to be with you, but I'm going to send you a comforter that is just like having me with you. As a matter of fact, and this is where we'll get into it a little bit, but it's, he's, Jesus says it's better. 
I don't get that. I'd much rather to have Jesus like literally walking next to me. But he's saying, no. The fact that the Spirit is with you is better. He gives us another comforter. Let's read a couple of verses here regarding this. Look at 14.16. I'll read it. I'll read from verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper or comforter or sometimes paraclete or advocate. Those are different ways it's, it's translated. To be with you forever. Forever. Notice that. And so here, look at verse 26. Same idea. But the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's not hard. You get the point. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon the disciples and as we read in the New Testament, comes upon anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is with that individual till the end. There is this enduring presence. So what does it mean for the comforter or the paraclete uh, or the advocate. Why, why are there so many translations of the word? Give me a break. Okay, you know why? Whenever you get a Bible and you see a word is translated like three or four times, it's because the translators don't know how to translate it. Okay? It's not rocket science. They don't know how to translate it. They're not sure. It could be, and I tend to move in my own uh, thinking, my own like worldly thinking, liking psychology and understanding that whole thing, that Jesus is talking about peace, comforter, giving you comfort. Okay, And clearly, the Holy Spirit does that. But I have to tell you, I cannot, I'm trying to be honest with you and how I understand the verse, I, I don't think this idea is like that. Scholars have great difficulty translating the words. Some don't even try. And so I've tried to figure it out. And I am tempted to go with this idea of comforter. But, but, John is using a word that could be peace or talk about peace, but it also could be translated paraclete or advocate. And it's used mostly that way. So what does that mean? How, how does that work in our lives like that God is this advocate? Well, look at it this way. If you look at it from a judicial standpoint, an advocate is one who is bringing testimony about for someone or something in a court case. Jesus was the advocate for the Father, showing who the Father is and the glory of the Father. And you know what the Holy Spirit is the advocate for? To show us the grace and glory and truth of Jesus Christ. And so what the advocate wants to do in our lives is show us the enormous eternal power and grace and love of Christ. Now that does bring comfort. That is the comforter. But that's where he wants to move to show us how Jesus would act in this situation. I wish there was a verse for everything that we live, but there isn't. But there is the comforter who's going to lead us and move us in a lot of different ways. And sometimes we don't get the message, and he's just saying, You have common sense, make the decision. 
It's amazing sometimes how, how believers will not take a risk based on their own common sense because they're waiting for God to give them some message. I'm also amazed at Christians who never ask for the Spirit to give them wisdom as they move out through life. You know when it, James, James says uh, uh, in, in the first chapter, he says, when you're going through stuff, ask God for wisdom, not wavering. And do you know that the term wisdom that James is using there could be a word, because James is an early book, that talks about the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God from Proverbs in the Old Testament. James is saying, look, wisdom is available. Don't doubt. See that He's going to work. Know it. It's something that should be part of our normal life as we live. Listen, we try to practice it in the morning meeting, right? Sometimes to great joy, other times to snooze fest. But wherever it is, we're looking for God to work. And we want to see Him work. And we want to praise Him that He does work. Amen? The world system will always have Christ on trial. Everybody will have Christ on trial. But the Holy Spirit wants to move in our lives and in our hearts to show the greatness and glory and beauty and truth of Jesus Christ. You say, well, you know, Gerard, I, I know that. I I'm really understand that. Well, listen, because Jesus goes on talking about His presence. Look at 14, 12 to 17. And here's where it starts to get, to me, uncomfortable. It's like taking the gloves off. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice the advocate aspect of it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Greater works. Jesus says, it's better for me to go. How many of us have really meditated on that and thought about what that means? That Christ is saying that with the Holy Spirit indwelling within you and within the church, that it's better. That the world is going to see in a winsome way they may not agree with it, but they're going to see the glory of Christ working. Now that speaks volumes to stuff, right? It speaks volumes to politics. It speaks volumes to where the church aligns itself. It speaks volumes to so many different things. Because whether they agree with the church or not, at least there is a winsome spirit that we are people glorifying God and sacrificing ourselves for people who don't care. The Holy Spirit. It's better. It's better, not worse. It's better for me to go. The church really needs to realign to that. What is the Spirit of God telling us to do? What does He desire us to be like? How does He want us to live? And you know, age has nothing to do with it. Whether you're young, we have a sister who's going to India to be a light, or whether you're 87, 
It doesn't matter. God, ha- there's no retirement. The Holy Spirit is in you. Yeah, there are certain things you can't do. I get it. Uh, you know, three hernia surgeries. When I get up from the morning meeting, I, I'm not sure my knees are yelling at me. What are you doing? Okay? Something too spicy. I can't eat after 10 o'clock. That's like, what? Can you still eat before after 10? I have to repent because I hate, I hate you right now. <laughs> The Lord wants to show His glory through us, okay? In the chaos of everything. Look at John 14, 25-27. These things He spoke to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, uh, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, this advocate also includes peace. It also includes peace as He enables us in an age of chaos to have peaceful understanding that God is in control. That's a tough one. I get panicked over stuff. Right? You know what that's like. But the Lord is saying, I'll tell you, this is, this is a literal, oh boy, all right, I'll kind of close with this. Uh, this is literally, I said this quote unquote to my wife. All right, so we have our four girls. Our youngest daughter is still in the home, and she's driving around in this uh, 1998 Camry. You know, Camrys just never die. I think they're going to be in heaven. I mean, they just—it's just—they just never die. And so you—you you know, we were not the type. We live kind of in Rutherford, the yuppie triangle. You know, where kids are driving around in beamers and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, obviously, full-time worker, that's not going to be the case. And then, well, I won't go there. Anyway, so she's got this Camry, and it's still running. And we're thinking, but, you know, the days are numbered, this thing. And now she's commuting down to Perth Amboy area for work. And it's like, you know, these, uh, we got to do something. We got to do something. And, you know, you're wondering, and then you start, as a parent, you start to, do you have any children yet? No, you're not married yet? Oh, sorry. Oh, all right. You want to talk later? We could, we could talk. All right. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, forgive me. I'm embarrassing you guys like terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay. So anyway, uh, where was I? What was I talking about? <laughs> all right. So uh, the car, it was the car. All right. So as a parent, you're like still like, you know, we got to get her a safer car. We got to do something here. Oh, no, we don't have the savings. We can't. Oh, this is terrible. Right now. You guys ever think that way? No, we never. No, you're good Christians. You never No, you. So you start to worry. It's like, how are we going to do this? Oh, the driveway has cracks in. I'm going to have to get that repaid. This is just not going to work. Now, listen, I've walked with the Lord for over almost 40 years, okay? God has come through every single time in need. Every single one. All right? We're not in debt. The house is going to be paid for. We, God has come through in every single time. No sweat. And I'm worried about a car. Here's this. So, you know, my father-in-law is dying and he has this 
not a Camry, uh, a Honda Accord. That's the second car that's going to go to heaven because they don't die either. All right, he's got a Honda Accord that has ne- has not been used. Pr- it's got like twenty thousand miles. Nobody wants it. I want it. Give it to me. All right, and so we're gonna get that car f- for Hannah. So I say to myself, I said this to Mickey. Mickey, if I complain or worry about anything else in the future, you have the ability to hit me over the head. God always provides. Always. That's a growth mindset. That's a redemption mindset. Because remember, God is talking about creation. He sees it this way. Fall, redemption, consummation. And He's doing the same thing in your life and in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate the power of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this time in Your Word. Uh, We need to remind ourselves of all these good things in John 14 and help us to live in faith and rest in them. We praise You, Lord Jesus, that You really did take care of all things. You died on the cross. You took our sins as far as the east is from the west. You consumed them. They are no longer there. We are in Christ. We are sons and daughters of You. And for this time that You've left us, You've given us Your Spirit. Glory to Your name. Help us, Lord, to hear Your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.